latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. Well, it is final four week. Auburn taking on Virginia in one semifinal, and then it's going to be Michigan State, Texas Tech. A lot of surprises heading into the final four. And on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Steve Smith, former Michigan State player, played the NBA quite a long time, and is currently an NBA and NCAA analyst for Turner Sports. Also be joined by Oklahoma's Lon Kruger, who's going to receive the John R. Wooden Coaching Award, the Legends of Coaching Award, next week at the College Basketball Awards show. That'll be uh, broadcast on ESPN. That's next weekend. But he also, of course, played two of the teams in the Final Four. We'll get his perspective. Played Texas Tech in the Big 12, of course. And during the NCAA tournament, played Virginia. Then we'll be joined by Florida head coach Mike White, who played two teams also in the Final Four. Played Michigan State earlier in the season. Get a perspective on that. And then, during the SEC, of course, played Auburn. But before we get to that and all our interviews, let's break down a little bit of the bracket. You know, what I love doing, of course, with the power rankings that we've done during the NCAA tournament, and it elicits a lot of response, a lot of constructive criticism, which is fine. We love the engagement and my bracket. So look, last year, I did better than this year, and that happens. I had Villanova, Michigan in the final, Villanova winning. I felt good at the beginning of the tournament, as you all know that are following us, with Gonzaga, Tennessee. Tennessee was playing with fire way too much. Blew that 25-point lead to Iowa. Had to win that game in overtime. And then dealt with an epic, epic performance from Ryan Klein. And then a consistently good performance from Carson Edwards. And Tennessee lost to Purdue and was out in the Sweet 16. Gonzaga, well, I saw them really dominate Florida State, if you will, from start to finish. And then ran into a Texas Tech team that is the best defensive team in the country. It forced Gonzaga to taking bad shots, quick shots, and then defensively didn't fight over any screens at key moments. And players like Davidi Moretti or Matt Mooney or Edwards from Texas Tech, um, they made big shots. And the Red Raiders won that game, earned it, and they're in their first ever Final Four under Chris Beard. So Gonzaga out. Virginia had losing to Tennessee. They advance in an unbelievable fashion by beating Purdue, Carson Edwards with 42 points. And what I will tell you, what I think will go down as one of the best passes ever, and we'll talk to Steve Smith about this, Grant Hill receiving that, or excuse me, throwing that pass to Christian Leitner to Kentucky, that will be always number one because it was for the game, for the win, to put Duke into the Final Four. Um, this pass, especially if Virginia wins the national championship, will go down in iconic lore. Because on the play, if you haven't seen it, um, Key Clark, um, first of all, Ty Jerome unintentionally misses the layup, excuse me, the free throw, and Mamadi Diakite taps it out. Clark gets the long rebound. The clock is running down literally in the final three seconds. He's got Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy, open on the wings. You would think the freshman would pass to one of the seniors, excuse me, one of the upperclassmen, and he doesn't. He looks them off. Instead, he fires a bullet pass to Diakite, 
who has the presence of mind in the split second to do basically a touch shot. I mean, catch and shoot, catch and shoot, catch and shoot. And it goes in and the game goes into overtime and Virginia wins. The atmosphere, and I was there in Louisville, was unbelievable because it was like Mackey South. It was like a Purdue home game, which is understandable in neighboring states, Indiana and Kentucky. Next day in Washington, D.C., the fact that Kenny Goins hits the game-winning shot, a three-pointer, not Cassius Winston. Winston, once again, unselfish play to set up Goins for the win, three-pointer. Um, and it also felt like right after that, that whether it was Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, maybe Cam Reddish, someone was going to make a three for Duke to win at the buzzer. Didn't happen. Michigan State prevailed in an incredible Elite Eight. Um, pretty fortunate back-to-back days. I am in Louisville on Saturday, D.C. on Sunday, two epic games. Prior to that, in my cross-country journey, I was in Anaheim for the Texas Tech absolutely smash job in Michigan, Gonzaga over Florida State, then flew to Kansas City, where I was there for Auburn, where they made 17 threes, beat North Carolina, which was my other team in the Final Four. Uh, North Carolina had a little bit of a sickness going on, but they weren't that sick to where they couldn't defend the three. And the fact that Chuma Okiki, who unfortunately suffers an ACL injury toward the end of that game, and Auburn still prevails, he was their best player on the floor, double-double guy, uh, just a great performance all around. And if you haven't seen Auburn in person, you can't fully appreciate Jared Harper's ability to go end-to-end so quickly. Bryce Brown is just such a competent, heady wingmate, can make big shots like Harper. Um, It's just a great backcourt. And then Auburn follows it up by taking out Kentucky in the Elite Eight on Sunday, and they get to their first Final Four. So Michigan State versus Texas Tech, Auburn, Virginia. It's not what most of us thought. Uh, I still think they're very good storylines. And, you know, even if whatever combination we get and look, I'm not about ratings. I understand certain schools rate. I'm not naive. I know Duke and Kentucky final would have been off the charts, but the storylines with each team, the fact that you've got new blood in there is still, you know, something that makes this tournament so special because it's so unpredictable. We all try to predict in the bracket, but we can't. (laughs) It's very difficult. Last thing I just want to say before we get to our guests on the rankings. So the reason I ranked teams the way I did was I looked at how you were playing then. It wasn't a predictive aspect of it. How you were playing, who you played, and who you had left because there were injuries all over the place. So as, as well as Auburn had played, the fact that they didn't have Okiki knocked him down a little for me. You know, the Virginia fans, I think, were a little upset. Even Kyle Guy called me out, and that's fine. But they had not played well prior, you know, played, i say, as well as they can prior to that second half and certainly overtime against Purdue. You know, they just hadn't. And that's why they were lower in my rankings leading into the lead eight. 
Texas Tech played great. I put them third. Gonzaga, I put them one because they dominated Florida State. And Florida State had previously just dominated, you know, Marquette. And the week before, it had just been in the ACC tournament title game against Duke. And they had just beaten Virginia, Florida State. So, you know, I, I feel it was all justified. I get people were all, hey, you didn't get this right. And that's fine. I love the engagement. Keep it coming. We're going to still do this. We're going to still get draw the criticism. You know, we hope we're more right than wrong, but we'll be wrong. Everyone's wrong about this, uh, you know, in some way. But at least understand the rationalization of why we're doing things. So enough of me for now. I want to get to our guests, Steve Smith, Lon Kruger, Mike White. little analysis on the tournament and what's ahead here in the Final Four. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Steve Smith, uh, longtime analyst on all Turner Networks, uh, NBA, NCAA, former Michigan State Spartan, and a birthday boy as well here this week. Uh, <laughs> so, Smitty, uh, Michigan State taking on Texas Tech, Auburn taking on Virginia. Uh, I had one when we last were together on Selection Sunday. So I had Michigan State over Duke. I actually had that matchup correct. I thought I would have Gonzaga in there, but they lost to Texas Tech. Um, I had Virginia losing to Tennessee, and uh, I did not see Auburn coming out of that region at all, uh, as you know. So uh, first, um, let's assess what you think of this Final Four as to what you predicted versus what occurred. You know, Andy, we were we were thinking alike and similar to a lot of things. If you look at it, uh, it comes down now to just Michigan State for me. I had them winning it all, so... I look at my other side, you know, and I, just fantastic teams all around. Didn't have the teams, you know, Virginia or Auburn making it to the Final Four. Had uh, I think I had UNC and Tennessee, those are my teams coming out, but just unbelievable. Let's start off with Auburn and Bruce Pearl. He's done such a great job, and obviously having the injury to the kid, uh, I thought it would hurt him because he was a guy with size playing against you know, Kentucky, but the guard play, and we always go back to guard play in March Madness, especially when you start to get down to the final four in the big games. They were tremendous. Um, they handled the pressure. They handled the pace. They made the right plays. And they flat out just outplayed Kentucky, and I thought they out-toughed Kentucky yesterday. And clearly doing that without, you know, Chuma Okiki was, was, was significant. I was at the game where he got hurt when they knocked off North Carolina, and they were in control of that game. You know, and we see this time and time again. We all get caught up, I think, in saying, okay, what, how can they replace a player like that? You know, they can't win and so on. And yet there's always someone, it feels like, to take that baton. And especially when, you know, they shot the ball so well against North Carolina, uh, they were able to sort of adapt. And, and North Carolina and, and Kentucky, you know, at the end of the day, did not defend Jared Harper, certainly off the ball, the way. I think that uh, they needed to to, to to knock them off. What did you think of the way Auburn adapted without one of their key players? You know, I think they did a fantastic job. I think they they I think Bruce Pearl gives the entire team and obviously great players just supreme confidence. Um, I thought Kentucky would just trap and get the ball out of the guards' hands, Harper and also Brown, but they didn't. And I think the one thing is, and they switched, and it, it made it hard. I mean, you put some of those bigs on an island. You didn't want to get Washington into foul trouble. So I, I thought Kentucky should have pressed a little bit more, make the game even more up and down. I know Auburn loves to play that way. But 
I, I think you just have to make other guys and other players beat you, and they could. And then that's the one thing is when you have their best players and their guards with the ball in their hand, I think you should have been a better adjustment. But obviously sitting on the sideline, but I think you give all the credit to Bruce Pearl to having those guys ready. I think, I think it's totally different, Andy, than the NBA game and the NBA series. You lose a big-time player, and other guys can step up. But when you have a seven-game series, it's hard to overcome one of your best players or your key cogs that's out because of injury to be able to win a series. Unless it's a one-game series where, you know, it's tied 3-3 and you have a one game. And then that becomes the March Madness one-and-done scenario. And so that's why I look at, you know, you look at Auburn the way everybody else stepped up. Uh, you look at Michigan State, you know, people, you know, make no excuses. That's not Tom Izzo, but Josh Langford has been out. I mean, there's so many guys that Henry has stepped up. Gabe Brown uh, gave Michigan State a big game. Um, then you have Kyle Arns who's been out. They says you have other players and stuff, but then we're still missing Nick Ward. Uh, you know, he's back, but he's not only back because he's not the Nick Ward of old. He hasn't been able to dominate on the block. He still has his injury, but. Xavier Tillman and Kenny Goins have stepped up, and it all comes down though to guard play again. Even with Michigan State, what Cassius has done, so it's unbelievable. And you, you even roll Andy to Virginia. I love what they've done, you know, because it, it had to hurt. I know I was almost there, losing to a, no, a number sixteen seed. They actually did it to be able to come back from all that scrutiny and all that negativity, and to have some close games and not fold. Give Tony been a lot of credit and those guys in Virginia, the way they've got their stuff to the final four. Well, and let's talk about that play for a moment, because I think that the Clark pass, you know, it, it does. It's not going to equal Duke, Kentucky, because it's not Duke, Kentucky. But mm-hmm. and it wasn't the for the win. It was to send into overtime. But it, it, if that's one, this can't this this has to be in the top five because the, the tap out from Diakite and what Clark did where he had Guy and Jerome uh, wide open, um, but there's only like two seconds left, maybe something like that. So they would have just had to shoot, you know, probably from just on the other side of half court. The odds of those, you know, that going in while it may have won it, uh, you know, as Tony Bennett told me, like he thought, okay, we're going to just try to win it with a three. The odds were not good for that. But for him to have the – you know, presence in that split second to then zip that pass down to Diakite, who then, you know, just releases it at the at the blink of an eye because he's got to beat the clock and for that to go in. For all that to happen, the tap out, the pass, you know, the the touch shot, if you will, in a split second, it seemed, it really was remarkable. I don't, what'd you think of that whole, you know, that, that whole sequence, especially coming off of Carson Edwards scoring 42 points and not being able to get the win? You know, Andy, I'm, I'm glad you're seeing the game different. You know, I mean, that's the that's what makes you know people around the game. You know, not the obvious. We can't take nothing away from the shot. We can't take nothing away from the tap out. But you said a freshman, I believe. I think he's a freshman. Yeah, he's Clark. a freshman. You know, you know, like people kept saying he's a freshman. I said, you sure? Because I said, let me look it up. Because you know, I've watched him play. He just doesn't um, carry himself as a freshman. He doesn't play like a freshman. And let me let's be honest. He was having a tough night, Carson. Carson, that was a guy giving you forty-two in the way he's playing, and it's possible you could lose. And you're a freshman. That's your assignment. First of all, that's unbelievable. And you know what? What, what do you get out of that? Keep guarding. Yeah, he has thirty. Keep guarding. He's doing a good job. He has forty. I mean, the kid gave it his all, and especially that one big time shot. He was all over. 
Edwards, but then you said it best. The presence of mind to catch the basketball, not panic, to look up, to make that type of pass and that stressful moment, the shot has to go in. But I, I just thought it was remarkable for him to stay calm, cool, and collective. And you said it best, not go to, you know, especially I, even myself, older guy, I'm looking for Kyle Guy because he's the guy that can flat out shoot it this deep, doesn't have that much time left. But he made the pass. And I think everybody was shocked that he made the pass that far down and, and the shot goes in. So that just tells you the presence of mind as a freshman in Clark. All right, so before we move on to that side of the bracket, how do you size up Virginia-Auburn national semifinal Saturday? You know, that's, you know, you love Virginia. The pack line defense is fantastic. You know, you love Virginia because of their resolve of what they went through last year and, and even this year. You know, that's a lot of pressure to come back and play the way they play. These two styles of play, you know, and this is where I, I look at it in Virginia where I know you want to slow it down. But say, Andy, you do get in a situation where, you know, it's six minutes left, you're down eight, which is not that many points, a whole bunch of time left. Do you start to play out of character as far as your defense? Do you extend your defense, you know, and start to press a little bit? Do you play a little faster possessions-wise? Because no matter what, you're down eight, and maybe you go down nine or ten, depending on how the games goes. And not saying they will be, but if they do, can you generate enough possessions through the way you play defense, which is hard-nosed, but it's not really a full-court pressure unless you're in desperation? And then also on that other end, can you play fast enough and are you comfortable playing fast enough to be able to play that pace if you need to go there? And obviously their whole thing is if we can keep it close and we don't have to be there, we don't have to do anything to worry. I worry about that type of scenario for Virginia. Uh, but if the game is close, then obviously you can't count Virginia out or Auburn. But I think advantage of uh, Virginia, if the pace and tempo is at Virginia's liking. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a big concern is, you know, Carson Edwards – made tough shots. And so Virginia will make you do that. Um, but I've seen that from Auburn. You know, they've made tough shots and they've got more. They don't have one Carson Edwards, but they've got multiple guys who can make shots. Mm -hmm. So that'll be a very, you know, that that I think will be an underlying storyline um, in between Auburn and Virginia. All right, let's shift out west where I saw you. Uh, Texas Tech, you know, I, I just assume that Michigan – um, I knew Texas Tech could defend like that, but I assume Michigan's offense would be able to at least, you know, not completely fall apart the way we saw. And then you've had, a, you know, the, the best defense in the country going against what we saw with Florida State. Gonzaga's offense really was clicking. But then Texas Tech's defense went out. Rui Hachimura, you know, couldn't get on un, un, uncorked. Uh, Zach Norville was a little streaky. And then there was some, you know, questionable decisions late, shot selection and all that. And, and, and Tech ends up going to the Final Four. What were your impressions of Texas Tech? You know, first, like you said, um, just flat out dismantled the Michigan Wolverines, which I was surprised. I had Texas Tech beaten, but not in that type of fashion and not in that type of margin. Um, you, you watch Texas Tech. I had them last year in a tournament, and I loved them and I liked them. You know, I thought they lost a lot. And Evans, Kenyon Evans, and also Zaire Smith, and also all the other players they lost. They lost some experience. They lost guys. And then you look at what he has done with this Texas Tech Raiders. I mean, you talk about a guy that's in three years at Texas Tech, what he's done, Elite Eight and now Final Four. Chris Beard has got to be on that star watch. Not only just Naismith coaching the year, just star watch. I mean, he's been fantastic. And their defense, what I love, Andy, is, and I t uh, watching that game and calling that game is, 
I've never been impressed with so many small guards. When you look at Davide Moretti and you look at Matt Mooney, able to switch and play bigger guys, whether it's on a post up and then also when a shot go up to be able to block out guys. And that's what I think is phenomenal. We have some teams that can defend, but when you're smalls and they're six three and I think Moretti is about 6'2". To be able to defend, I saw them switch out on Brandon Clark. I saw them switch out on Rui Hachimura, and they did a good job. You're not going to stop bigs like that, but they did a good enough job where Gonzaga just couldn't go to that mismatch. And then on the offensive end, they have guys who can make shots and make plays, and they're unselfish, and that's the one thing I love about them. And it's, it's, it's your turn or your matchup, or is it my turn and your matchup, and that's between a lot of guys that can come out and make shots and Kyler Edwards is a guy that scares me because this freshman came in. He makes he doesn't score a lot of points, doesn't average a lot of points, but he can make plays come off that bench and they need it. And also Brandon Francis. So they have two guys that can come off. I think the key for them is if they can stay out of foul trouble with their bigs, Tariq Owens and Odiase, they have a chance to, you know, make it hard on any team. Yeah, the timing of the shots I thought was so important. Moretti, Mooney, Edwards. It's when they made them, not necessarily like, I mean, if mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's another thing you were talking about before about sort of not just taking the stats sort of on a surface level and say, okay, they went, you know, whatever, two for four, one, three, whatever it is. It's when that shot came because they absolutely were daggers late in that game where it looked like Gonzaga, okay, they're on a run. They're going to get within one possession, maybe take the lead and then bam, you know, the one in the corner, the one at the top of the key, um, all those late shots, those late threes. I think a couple might have been late possession, uh, late shot clock, you know, so that can be really just heartbreaking for that team that's trying to mount that comeback. All right, so Michigan State, Texas Tech, uh, this can be a physical game. And you just mentioned about Owens making sure he can stay, um, you know, out of foul trouble. How do you assess that matchup? Well, you know, I just love this matchup because, you know, it's going to be physical. And yes, Texas Tech is one of those teams that can flat out defend. But I think, and I know, and I don't even think this is what, Tom Mizzle thrives on these type of games. If it's going to be physical, he feels he can win those. And if he's going to be physical, he figures his guys are mentally tough enough and also physically tough enough. And I will tell people, what's the luxury of a Tom Mizzle bringing Nick Ward off the bench? He's still not 100%. We know he's still battling the hand injury and he has the contraption all over it, you know, but he's still able to come in, be an offensive threat, score some nice key buckets down there. And then you don't want to double them the way they have guys being able to make plays. That's just three-point shot. McQuaid, I think because of Josh Langford out, because of Nick Ward out, he knew he had to come up and be a threat offensively. So he's driving the basketball and making some plays off the dribble that I hadn't seen in four years. I mean, the play of the game to me in that first half was when he got a dunk. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, people talk about X's dunk, Xavier's dunk, and some other plays, and Kenny shot. All great, but I'm talking about from a guy who knows Michigan State. For McQuay to catch it on the wing, and Andy, you know Big Ten basketball. If you cover and you've been around, I hadn't seen him that confident to take the basketball to the rim and try to flush on somebody. And he was up against some guys that were some athletes at Duke. And he did, and he's made some tremendous plays. He's more confident. It would take – McQuaid, two or three possessions, two or three trips down before he would take a shot. He came out firing yesterday, and I think that's the confidence because he had to. He was put in that position, and also Cassius. 
best point guard in the country, best leader in the country. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a Spartan. He understands the moment, understands what his teammates need. And also the call of that play with Tom Izzo for Kenny Goins to be the first option. But make no you may make them no presence of mind that the second option is for him to come off and he was going to get a three. So, But to have Kenny Goins have the first look uh, and call that, it was a fantastic between him and Tom Mizzo to have Kenny Goins knock it down that shot. So I think it's going to be physical, but I think that plays right into Michigan State's hands. Yeah, my, my head tells me it's Michigan State, Virginia in the national championship game, but uh, I've been burned before by counting out Auburn and Texas Tech. So we'll see. Before I let you go here, March Madness 365, uh, Smitty, um, let's just put a postscript on Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett. Um, I don't know about Cam Reddish, but let's assume uh, that all three are going and who knows about Trey Jones. But just what that team did for Duke, for college basketball, for the entertainment value of uh, this season. I, I look at it one. Let's start off with let's just start off with Trey Jones. I mean, a kid to be able to run the point guard on the team that's, you know, considered you know the number one team and obviously the favorites to win throughout the year i never saw him rattle now i did see it some chink in his armor his jump shot is was was a chink in the armor when you start to talk about in late play in big time games and i know the game before that he hit a lot of them but he still wasn't just confidence uh, being able to knock down shots but on the flip side we forget he's a freshman but I think right now we, we we think every freshman should be ready to go from day one when they had a big program like that, a blue blood. I thought he was tremendous. Um, uh, just like Cassius had to play a lot of minutes, doesn't really have a lot of back, backup to come in and expel him a lot of minutes. They needed him and the, the, for what he had to do on both ends and the leadership standpoints. And then keeping, you know, Zion and RJ and Cam Reddish, everybody's involved. I think he was a perfect point guard for that team. Uh, second, Cam Reddish. Uh, this was, I, I think, and I don't know, Andy, what's going on, because I thought he should have been more involved in the offense. And I'm not talking about the last game or even throughout this March Madness run. I didn't see him involved enough other than a spot-up shooter playing off guys. I thought he should have been able to handle the basketball early, make mistakes, and maybe Coach K knew what he was doing. Obviously, I never questioned him. But I never felt like he the potential I saw and I saw him in high school that we got a chance to see his total package. And maybe that's on him. Maybe that's on the style they play, but I didn't see him. I saw him more than just the spot up shooter and hopefully he'll get a chance, you know, whether he stays or, or goes at the next level or stays in college to be able to show him his package. And then I think RJ Barrett, um, kid held this team together without Zion. And I don't think he gets enough credit. You know I mean? I, I Zion obviously is the, you know, everybody's darling, but I thought R.J. Barrett was the hard hat guy that put this team on his back, especially when Zion was out. And he had a phenomenal year. He was the the guy coming in as touted as the number one player in the country and the number one draft pick, and he still rightfully can go. But I, I, I will say I was impressed the way he's carried himself. You know, got to be able to make some more free throws and some outside shots, but he's still a freshman. I, I just thought he carried himself in a tremendous way. And then Zion, I mean, on the court, the sky is the limit, and we're talking about potential. He's already a fantastic player, but when you see the growth of him where even if he body, he can change a little bit more, you know, as far as to get, you know, 
maybe five or ten pounds less and get cut up. His handling, dribbling ability can get better. His jump shot can get better. So you start talking about all the areas he can get better. And then he also will probably be, you know, the national player of the year with all these things with the upside. And then to me, the way he carried himself in the incident with uh, blowing out his shoe was marvelous. Where he carried himself, where people said, you know, after injury, what he would come out was marvelous. And where he carried himself throughout the entire college basketball with the media attention that he had. Uh, this kid is a gem, and I love that every time you ask him a question, he always deflected to team. So I'm a big fan of his, and obviously I would think he will be coming out in an RJ. They had a great run. Unfortunately, it has to stop to my Spartans. But other than that, you know, I root for those kids, you know, the way they handle themselves in this in these situations. And you'll be covering them for sure uh, on TNT and NBA TV <laughs> as well. Uh, Smitty, appreciate it. I will see you in Minnesota. Got you. See you in Minnesota. Coming up on March Madness 365, my conversation with Oklahoma head coach Lon Kruger. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Oklahoma head coach Lon Kruger, who will receive, by the way, next weekend, uh, a pretty big honor um, that he is uh, deserving of. There's no question that uh, to receive the Legends of Coaching Award uh, named after John Wooden. And we're going to get to that in a minute, but uh, a great honor that uh, he is being uh, honored with uh, next week after the Final Four. But before we get to that, uh, I want your opinion if I can, on two of the teams in the Final Four, because you face them. Uh, let's start in your own league, uh, Texas Tech. A surprise to some, maybe not to others, that they ended up getting to the Final Four, knocking off Michigan. I was at that game in Anaheim, absolutely dismantled them, and then were able to hold off Gonzaga. Once again, their defense sort of throttled the best offense in the country. Uh, Lon, you faced them multiple times. What makes this Texas Tech team so special? Andy, they're uh, they're very good. Uh, Coach Beard's done a fantastic job. Uh, their guys are just 100% bought into each possession. Uh, they've got great reaction to one another. They read each other very well. They don't cover each situation exactly the same because they they base everything around uh, read and react to uh, to the other players, and uh, they just don't give up easy buckets. They make you earn everything, and before you know it, you're shooting 35% and and feeling like uh, there aren't open shots anywhere. You know, they were a team that continued to get better and better in, in a league that, as you know, since you've been back there, uh, is arguably, if not the toughest, one of the toughest because of that round robin. What, what did you see in between the first time you played them and the second time you played them? Just another level of confidence, uh, another level of security. Uh, they went through a stretch there early in the Big 12 play where they had lost a couple three and uh, didn't look to be anything, you know, different from other teams in the league. And then the last, you know, uh, eight, ten games, they were, you know, clearly uh, the, the dominant team, along with Kansas State, actually both covered like crazy. But uh, Tech has proved uh, through their advancement of uh, the tournament into the Final Four that they uh, clearly are one of the best teams in the country. And, and again, without question, uh, maybe the best defensive team in the country. I mean, when you saw what they were doing out west in Anaheim and beating Michigan and Gonzaga, how, how surprised were you? Not that surprised. Uh, they they're very physical. They they attack the basketball. They they rebound uh, as a group. They uh, just are so uh, together defensively. They're not out of position very often, and you just don't get to the paint with open looks very often. All right, let's shift to Virginia. Um, you had to deal with them in the NCAA tournament. Uh, this was a team that you know went through a lot of angst. 
with that first game against Gardner Webb because of what happened with the 16-1 game a year ago. You know, different kind of defense, but once again, one of the best defensive teams in the country. What were your thoughts after dealing with Virginia? Outstanding team, and Coach Ben has done that for a long time with his clubs. Uh, a little different defensively, like you say, uh, where Tech uh, forces everything down and you're going to the baseline all the time. Uh, Virginia's attacking those ball screens and, uh, you know, things going toward the middle of the floor. But again, like Tech, uh, their guys are in great position. They high hands, they get a lot of deflections. You don't get many easy buckets against them, uh, outstanding. And, and again, playing against them, you have a similar feel. And that, you know, shots aren't easy to come by. So, I mean, those are two teams that you had to deal with, uh, you know, where obviously they're defensively focused. So as an opposing coach, and, and, you know, when you had a Buddy Heald or Trey Young, you know, you've got that creator, a guy that can maybe make tougher shots over, you know, being contested. What's the best way to attack defenses like that? Attacking anything, I guess it helps to have guys that can make shots. That's starting point. And guys can create shots. Because you don't get that first drive and kick oftentimes doesn't get you quite the look you want. You need that second drive and kick. And to do that, you need uh, three or four guys on the floor all the time that can drive and kick and make shots. But, uh, again, uh, the pressure to make open shots becomes uh, greater because you don't get that many of them. And, consequently, you find teams saying, well, I had open looks, but they didn't go in. But uh, there's a reason for that because of uh, uh, how persistent they are defensively with each possession. So, Lon, you've taken multiple teams to the Final Four. Um, this is the first time for Tony Bennett and Chris Beard. What's your advice? Is it, you know, just enjoy it. Enjoy the, the experience. Uh, make sure your players enjoy the experience. And yet, lock in and focus on the things that you've done to get to the Final Four. So, the, I think there's a fine line there. You, you can, uh, you know, uh, lock them away and, and not experience it. But I don't know that that's healthy. Uh, but also, you want to focus on uh, the real reason that you're there and that's to play good basketball. So finding that fine line to where they enjoy it, but also uh, continue to play like they have to get there. So as I said at the top of our chat here, uh, you're going to be honored with the uh, Legends of Coaching Award named after the late John Wooden. This will happen on April 12th uh, on the ESPN College Basketball Awards show. That's after the Final Four, obviously. Uh, You're in some heady company but it is deserving. Uh, when you heard that you were going to get this honor, what was your first reaction? Very honored. Uh, anytime you are honored uh, with something that's got Coach Wooden's name on it, of course, uh, it's, it's very, very special. I mean, look at the previous winners. That makes it special. So, uh, yeah, I'm very honored and uh, humbled by it and uh, certainly an event we look forward to. You rattle off the previous one, or I will. I mean, there's some big names, Gino Ariama, Jim Beheim, Jim Kellum, Billy Donovan, Tom Izzo, Mike Krzyzewski, Lou Olson, Bill Self, Dean Smith. Pat Summit, Roy Williams, obviously a very, very impressive list in this game. Um, you've been doing this quite a long time. What continues to drive you? The, each, each year, the, 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 the individual clubs, you know, it's, it's a new experience for them. Uh, you're motivated to, to help them have as positive an experience as possible, help them accomplish as much as they can on and off, off the floor as possible. Uh, uh, you know, just the satisfaction you see on their faces when they do something well. And uh, I feel like they're representing one another and representing the school and uh, you know, all those intangibles that go into it as much as anything else. You know, Lon, before I let you go, there was I think there was some skepticism on Trey Young, you know, his impact as a rookie. Uh, but clearly he has shattered that and he's going to be one of the finalists, if not get rookie of the year uh, with the Atlanta Hawks. Um, 
you know, was he too big? Was he too small? Would he be able to get a shot off? All those kinds of things that are constructively critical that, that, you know, we all heard. Um, why do you think he's been so successful and had such an impact in this first season? He's been unbelievable, uh, especially these last six weeks. Uh, just unbelievable every night out. Uh, his skill set. He, he's so quick with the ball and he's very, uh, uh, you know, the ball's a, a piece of him and uh, it's hard to keep him in front of you, especially in the NBA game where they can spread you out a little bit more and, uh, and uh, it's not quite as crowded from a, from a rule standpoint. So he's, uh, yeah, he's got a special skill set that really I think is as good as anyone in the league, even as a rookie. And Lon, you know, we keep hearing that this, the end of the one and done is going to come uh, at some point in the next two years. But, you know, Trey Young was not, I mean, I know you knew this, you know, I'm trying to educate others, that he was not a one and done when he came into Oklahoma. But there's going to be people like him going forward that just end up being, you know, better than maybe thought and have this great year and end up being one and done. So that's not going to go away. Um, when you recruit someone like Trey Young, when you get him on campus, and I'm just curious, when he first came, what did you think the chances were that he would ultimately become a one-and-done versus when you initially were recruiting him? Expectations uh, of his family and, and conversations with uh, Trey and his family uh, was maybe two-and-done, maybe three, you know, whatever time it takes. Uh, they were willing to be patient with it. So, uh, you know, each case is a little bit unique because Trey got off to such a dynamic start in November and December that he clearly, by the middle of December, was a one-and-done, and, done, and uh, that far exceeded you know anyone's expectations uh, but again his skill set was uh, off the charts and and uh, his, his results were off the charts so you agree with me we're still going to see people like Trey at some point that you know even when this rule goes away i think for sure yeah not not uh, you know everyone comes out knowing they're going to be one and done they they maybe hope to be you know an early entry at some point but uh, one and dones are pretty pretty rare I mean, when you think about the number of guys that go out after one and have success, so um, yeah. But we'll still see, yeah, we'll still see that occasional uh, guy uh, exceed expectations right out, you know, right off the bat, and and become a one and done when he wasn't really thinking that going in. Well, Lon, I appreciate it, and congratulations again on this incredible honor. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate all you do. And coming up here in March Madness 365, Florida's Mike White. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Florida head coach Mike White for the perspective of Michigan State and Auburn. Um, Mike, you guys had the chance to obviously play both. Now, Michigan State was much earlier in the season. Uh, so let's see what you can remember from that one. And I know they're a much different team now. They weren't hurt. They were dealing, uh, you know, if I'm not mistaken, you know, definitely that Nick Ward, Britt Lankford. That was, I think, I'm trying to remember if he was playing at that point or not. Yeah, yeah, he was really good against us, in fact. Yeah. A different team. that, but, but back then, you know, Xavier Tillman and Aaron Henry weren't as major factors. But from what you remember, and maybe even the whole culture of Michigan State, um, what pops in your head about what has made this particular unit so impressive? Well, I, I, hate, I hate to be so so general and, and, and cliche, if you will, but probably a lot of the same things. Uh, that, that every year put them in a conversation as as uh, one of the teams that maxed out the most or you know came close to having maxed out the most I mean it's just they seem to have a fantastic culture up there of winning basketball of a healthy locker room physicality toughness both mentally and physically uh, connectivity between staff and players and, and amongst uh, the players themselves um, 
the the way that they coach each other um, in huddles, uh, their level of communication. Uh, they really execute well. Nick Ward was really playing well early in the year. Um, and I, you know, he's, he's had a great year, of course, but I remember going into that scout thinking, how the heck can we guard this guy? And he was terrific. Good screening team, run different stuff than we normally defend for the most part in our league. They're very, very good. And Cassius Winston, um, you know, I, I, I don't get into the postseason accolades as much as I should. I'm assuming he was an All-American. If not, he should have been, in my opinion. No, he was. Yeah, just a, a really, really good player. Um, his pace, his IQ, uh, his feel for the game, when to shoot it, when to get other guys involved. Those are the things that, that popped up the most, uh, you know, when you bring the, these guys up a couple minutes ago. I think Cassius is, is ter- just, just terrific. Really, really good player. So what does it say that when you guys played him much earlier in the season and Joshua Langford was such a major factor, he's, if I'm not mistaken, their leading scorer, you take him out of the mix, most, most teams that lose their leading scorer you know, aren't able to reach a, a Final Four. What does that say about their depth or even Coach Izzo and his staff? I think they've done an amazing job. You know, Coach Izzo, I think that every year uh, with the job that he does and the job that his staff does, holding it together, finding a way, that's what the best programs do. Uh, they don't make excuses. Next man up. Um, I, I remember when he went down thinking, well, maybe this will be the year. You know, we're all saying maybe this will be the year they don't finish strong and they just keep plugging. They, they've, they've had chances to win every game um, and they've had huge wins, of course. Here they are still alive in the Final Four, uh, playing through different guys. You know, I, I think it also speaks to the you know, to the buy-in from these guys that were maybe not playing as much earlier in the year and, and, and the preparedness, they're ready. You know, they get an opportunity and they step right in. So let's shift to Auburn. Uh, to that point, I, I'm out in Kansas City and they lose in this game after beating North Carolina or late in that game, they lose Chumo Kiki. And he was the best player on the floor at that moment, double-double, and yet they still go on to finish North Carolina and then beat Kentucky without him. How do you explain that? Wow. Uh, depth, uh, motor, toughness. Uh, again, not making excuses. I think Bruce and his staff have done an amazing job with this team. Um, you know, the, the next guy just, just jumps into that role and takes advantage of an opportunity. And, and I would say they did it collectively. You couldn't put your finger on one guy that just took, that just took Chuma's minutes, excuse me. Uh, they, they've played a little smaller at times. They've played a little bigger at times. Austin Wiley stepped in a little bit. Um, and this is a team, too, that if you'll remember, I want to say it was uh, early to mid-conference season, they were struggling a little bit, um, you know, comparatively speaking, I guess um, relative to what the expectation might be. And um, I remember as a staff, I was talking about, the fact that they were going through it and it'd be interesting to see if they can jump out of it. And here they are. I don't know how many they've won in a row, what, 10, 11, 12, something like that. Playing their best basketball season at the right time. Uh, we were one of their victims, you know, in, in, in the SEC tournament. They are just playing really, really well. Uh, I think that they might have the best backcourt in the country. Uh, definitely the most underrated backcourt. Um, I just feel like uh, with those two guys, uh, Brown and Harper, I just don't feel like they're talked about enough, uh, both offensively and defensively. They're they're a terrific team. I mean, when you add 
you know, Chris Chiosa, um, you had a guy that was hard to keep in front. I think back to the Wisconsin game where he went the length of the floor and get off the game winner in the Sweet 16. But, you know, watching Jared Harper end to end and how quickly he gets downfield, essentially, uh, what, what's the best way to defend that? My goodness. Um, sign an NBA guy to a, to a 10 day, pull him down a level. Um, put a six, eight speedy, long athletic guy on him. Uh, he's elite. I mean, he's, he's an elite shooter with an elite handle with elite speed. It's just a tough combination. Um, I, I can't tell you I've got a great answer cause we didn't guard him very well. Uh, he went off at Auburn against us and then we had chances to win in the SEC tournament and eliminate them. And he made huge plays off of the bounce, just dagger threes. He's in range, basically at the logo, um, you know, within 30 feet. And and you've you've got to get close enough to him to be a presence and contest heavily when he shoots it. You got to make sure you don't foul him. And as you get closer to him, that speed comes into play and his ability to get by you, draw fouls. And he's an underrated passer. I mean, he's with either hand, his ability to get guys shots throwing lobs, getting guys catch-and-shoot threes. He might be the, the, the toughest cover in the SEC. And, Mike, before I let you go, I know you haven't you didn't play against Virginia, but their ability to take and make threes, 17 against Carolina, Virginia obviously wouldn't want that to happen. They're a very good defensive team, obviously, with their pack line defense. They're going to stay right up on you as well. I mean, how does a team like Auburn free itself up to be in position to even mm-hmm. – they want to shoot threes – they want to shoot 20, you know, 25, 30. How do you see that playing out? Yeah, sure. You know, and Virginia defends the three-point line as well as most teams every single year. Um, they, they they make you bounce the basketball, um, They uh, but they also defend you at the rim. Um, I'm sure Tony's preaching every day in practice to, to force tough twos like we all are and, and want those mid-range shots and, 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 um, and, and contested 17-footers. To be shot, um, I, I'm, you know, they, they always do a, a really good job with size and speed on shooters. They're very disciplined. They're in those gaps. They communicate at a really high level, of course. I'm sure, I'm sure Auburn's going to try to get out and transition as much as possible. And I'm, and I'm sure Virginia transition defense is the biggest key um, as they're talking to their team. So I, I think that battle, uh, the overall battle of tempo will be interesting and fascinating, but I, especially the transition offense for Auburn versus Virginia's transition defense. Well, Mike, congratulations on yet another great year, getting in the tournament, getting on that run late, uh, the way you guys obviously uh, played against LSU. Uh, I know you're going to keep having Florida as a relevant uh, SEC title contender. So congratulations on another great year. Thank you. Thanks so much, Andy. Thanks for having me, man. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365 when we talk again We'll be previewing the national championship game. That's on Monday night, a week from tonight, as we're taping now. So we will record on Sunday night in advance of the national championship game, Monday night in Minnesota. As always, you can find this podcast wherever you download all your podcasts on iTunes and all our social media platforms at NCAA.com and March Madness. Thanks for listening.